You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sexy Irish Sean. I'm sexy today. Yeah, it's already sexy today. Uh, well, Rick is still sleeping because I think the sun is not yet up on the Pacific Coast at the time we're recording this. We are joined instead by Ryan Williams, who is one of our other team members. In fact, Ryan has kind of kicked me out of my old role, which was onboarding most of our clients. And he's been doing that for, gosh, how long has it been, Ryan? How long have you been a part of the team? I believe in about nine days, it'll be a solid year. Wow. Wow. We have to celebrate. Yay. We'll celebrate your, your next level web birthday. I don't know. Yeah, last time I was on the on the podcast, I was called New Guy Ryan. Um, yeah. That, that was, you know, that was my tagline. So we're going to have to find a new one. Now you're Rayman. Okay, Rayman. Yeah. Rayman. Cool with that. Yeah. Cool. Good platformer. <laughs> so I was not a fan of that game, but, you know, I'm a fan of you. So, Ouch. yeah. Well, so on this episode, we wanted to talk about onboarding concerns and questions that every client has at the start of working together with us or or should have, because we want this episode really to apply to anyone looking at a marketing company for a crowdfunding project. Um, there are a lot of pitfalls and also a lot of common threads of concerns that, you know, when clients come to us, they have common sets of questions before they sign, after they sign, you know, after a month or two, a lot of common threads that I think it would be good if you were prepared for. And very importantly, if you are working with a marketing company that is failing, you should absolutely know the right questions to ask so that you can minimize your losses. This is very common. In fact, I'll say that you know, I, I had, a you know, we have a couple of divisions of our business and uh, one of them is SEO marketing. And that's what Richard kind of specializes in. Right. Uh, so there was a new client that I was kind of onboarding and what happened was they, they have like 20,000 products on their website and they had a company design a brand new website for them. And they, they sell I don't well, I'll say they sell classic car parts. It's a pretty rare business. They sell all over, you know, just through their website. And when they redesigned their website and launched it, they lost about three quarters of their traffic and a massive amount of business. And they had no idea why, because they're not techie people. And they just, you know, Google just always worked for them. And uh, they, they were kind of freaking out and they came to us. And it turns out that, you know, when you create a brand new website with all sorts of different uh uh, URLs instead of the classic pages that you had on your website for the last, you know, 15 years, when you design a new one and Google is, you know, Google will look at, at every page that's ever indexed for your website and say, oh, all of those are gone. It looks like they created a brand new website and they get to start from the ground up. So uh, they, they ended up, yeah, it was, it was pretty gnarly. I've seen it happen. I've actually seen it happen with companies that are huge. One company did 30 million a year in New York City and they, uh, you know, doing like beverage marketing and uh, they would sell reports for beverage marketing. And every single year they lose like half of their traffic because they redesign their website every single year. This happens seven times in a row. And they're like, I don't know what's happening. And it's like, 
how, how can you be so ignorant? You know, but the point is that ignorance can really cost you. Ignorance costs this company uh, probably half their business for this year, just simply because they decided to pay a marketing company to redesign their website. And did we, did we redesign the website? <laughs> we did not. <laughs> so first of all, 20,000 products. I don't know if I want to redesign a website like that. Um, so, yeah, we've done it before and it was not fun, but uh, we also didn't lose half the traffic from our clients either. So yeah, it's a, it's a really big project, you know? So what are the questions that we could ask to kind of avoid the potentially losing out massively. I mean, have you done one of these before and what happened there? And can I talk to those people? Might be one, right? But in particular with crowdfunding, it's not like you design a giant website and then when you launch it, you see if it works or not. You're you're launching a Kickstarter campaign or or whatever game found a campaign and you only get to really see the the true results of your marketing after you launch the project so you know the the problem is that you you're going to spend most of your budget before that unless the crowdfunding campaign raises a lot of money then you're going to have much more budget to spend uh right if it does very well but the problem is we don't know exactly how the ad spend is going to return when your campaign goes live as a creator, you know, how do you know, number one, that your marketing spend is, is, is actually working and how do you know when it's not, you know, those are some of the questions that I really wanted to answer. What are your KPIs? Oh, what is a KPI, Sean? KPI is a key performance indicator. Okay. So let's talk about that. What a key performance indicator. What, what, so that's what KPI stands for, but why does it matter? I don't know, but it sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> so a KPI is basically, how do you know that what you're doing is working? And you kind of set a goal. So one of our key performance indicators for how effective your marketing is, is the open rate of your email. It shows that your email list is engaged. If you have a low email rate, people don't really care or not really interacting with your content. But if you have a higher open rate, then people are interacting. They do care about the project. So that's one of our KPIs is that we want to see about a 30, 30% open rate is a, is a very good open rate. It shows the engaged community. And if around 25 to 30, I'd say is a good open rate. Anything below 25 is, is bad. And then anything above 30 is phenomenal. Yep. So really, I guess the, the point, you know, I, I definitely want to get into some key performance indicators, but um, another word that I use is benchmarks. How do you know that the campaign is working? The first thing is, you know, all of those, so we'll identify key performance indicators like the email open rates, uh, click through rates, and, you know, other um, indicators like how many people uh, click on your ads and what was the cost for each click, right? And um, things like that. But it's kind of hard to piece the, to, really, I guess what, we're, what we want to do as a marketing company, we want to paint a picture that people can kind of see with these key performance indicators and we you know it's almost like vision casting you want to give people an idea of what is going to happen because of because these key these kpis are saying x then we think y is going to happen based on our experience and so some of the biggest key performance indicators are we kind of reverse engineer so when we build a landing page and we build landing pages for 
for crowdfunding projects for almost every project that we take on. The reason for that is because we want a single KPI to be at an, in an acceptable range, which is the, the number of people that go to that landing page. We need 10% of them to or more to become an email subscriber. The, the reason we want them to, to do that is because that's kind of how they actually drop into your funnel. Um, if, if people are clicking on ads, it doesn't matter what your cost per click is if they're not converting when they get to your website, right? The open rates are, are another one of those KPIs that are kind of cryptic as well. It's like a lot of people, it's almost like people liking your Facebook posts. You know, it's like I have a lot of likes on my Facebook posts, but how well is this translating into business? I'm not sure, right? So the open rates um, for deliverance, we've got like, 30 to 40% open rates. I know some people have like 25 to 30% and do well, uh, you know, some of our clients and then other, other clients, it's like 40 to 50%, you know, and that's seems to be quite high, but, um, the, I guess, where does the rubber meet the road? It's how many people open your day one, we just launched email and actually back your campaign. Right. And that's the big, I think the biggest element that it makes our clients nervous and really it should any marketing company that's promising you results or is in fact taking your money to produce results. I mean, it's what return on investment are you going to get? Right. And how do you know what type of return on investment you're going to get? And uh, I, I just had this conversation with uh, one of our clients yesterday. They were like, Hey, you know, I'm looking at our, you know, our Facebook, ads and trying to understand, but it's also cryptic. I just see like tons of bills that Facebook is charging me, you know, how, how do I understand these reports that Sean sent to me? And so we were talking about that. And, um, I mean, that's, those are the right questions to ask. It may, it may sound, uh, somewhat ignorant and it is because, you know, they're not a marketing expert. You know, you might not be a marketing expert, but you need to know what the right questions are. And, and you, you need to know answers when you can tell there's potentially a problem, but don't know how to really identify it. I mean, you have to, number one, you have to be working with a marketing company that you trust to give you truthful answers uh, because it's quite easy to, to lie or to, you know, pull the wool over your eyes um, for a while, get you to pay another month or two. But um, we have very, very clear key performance, or I'll say very clear benchmarks. So we, we see that if if we get 10% of the people that go to your website to actually subscribe to your email list, and we've got our whole virtuous cycle system that we kind of use to make sure that happens, which you can listen to in episode 14 of this podcast, then we believe that between 10 and 15% of those people are going to back your campaign on launch day. And, and, and we have lots of data that shows that it's that 10% is a very, very common number. That's not a great number. So if you had, you know, 300 people subscribe to your email list, that means that at, at minimum, you should have 30 of them back on day one of, you know, on your launch day. So, you know, if you need 400 backers to fund, then, you know, it's basically 4,000 emails on your list, right? The, uh, in theory. So yeah, 4,000 engaged emails, just is the key. Right. So, um, and actually, you know, it's, it's a, a lot, the, the final equation will say for your funding, you know, when you actually launch and you get backers from here, there and everywhere, 
Um, they, they're not all going to come from your, your email list. It's, uh, but the email list is a, is a very important part of that. It's what splashes you into, you know, into visibility on Kickstarter when you have, you know, 50 to a hundred people, um, or more jump from your email list into backing for uh, deliverance. We had a uh, 21% of our email list ended up backing. It was, it was, it was actually about 20%. Right? We went over those numbers. It was like just like 21.3% of the people that subscribed in the three months leading up to the launch. And it was like 16.7% for everybody else that had, um, you know, was, was on the email list before that. And so we had um, something like 4,400 emails and, and uh, right around like just over 800 of them ended up backing the game. Not so, typical results, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, actually, we've had higher results than that. I mean, Rurik, Stone, and Blade, we had like 30%. Uh, we, we, we acquired about 600, just I want to say like 640 emails for Rurik, Stone, and Blade. And they, uh, they over 200 of those people backed. It was, a, it was, a, it was like 30.4% of the, their email subscribers, which really surprised me. And, um, those, those email subscribers, they actually spent like $12 more than the average backer. You know, it was, it was, a uh, a lot higher because that was just an expansion. So we were marketing to a lot of new people that ended up buying the base game and expansion. Yeah. I'd like to also just hop in and kind of cover what I actually experience with clients on a regular with, uh, when, when we're actually in meetings and what kind of questions and. Uh, objections or doubts they have or hopes they have in regards to KPIs and benchmarks. I, I guess it helps to define our terms. Like the way that I'm kind of imagining the difference between benchmarks and KPIs would be like key performance indicators are what we're actually seeing once the ads are live and benchmarks are what we're hoping we could actually obtain uh, based on historical client averages. Is that, is that yeah. what, we're, what we'd say? Yeah, it's basic. A benchmark would show, you know, if we expect 10% conversion rate from a website visitor to an email subscriber, but we're only getting 7% or 5%, then we know that something's wrong, right? And uh, that's that's something that internally as a marketing company, we can look at and say, oh, there's something wrong here. And, uh, you know, the key for us, we need to figure out, you know, is the message wrong? Is our, uh, like, do the face, are the Facebook ads targeting the wrong people? Or, you know, maybe the landing, there's something wrong on the landing page. Maybe there's something wrong with the messaging and the way they're pitching the actual game. And the benchmarks are kind of our, it's like the thread that we can start pulling on to figure out, you know, how to fix them. We can, we often get landing pages that are at 7% to convert at 10 when we change a couple of things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the questions that I often get, you know, because we deal with a lot of people that are newer to the industry, maybe it's their first or second project on crowdfunding platforms such as Kickstarter or GameFound is what promises can you make me or, or what will I see for my ad spend re results wise? And they're pretty much kind of asking us to just do crystal ball gazing and give them some figure that, you know, that they're hoping to see. And I, it's an understandable concern because they want to know what their ROAS is going to be ahead of time. And then calculate oh, that's whether what's ROAS. 
Return on ad spend. Yeah. So how, you know, how much am I getting? How much juice am I getting for the squeeze out of every dollar that I invest in your services and in the ad spend with whatever platform you're running the ads through? And essentially, yeah, they're just asking us to know the future. They don't know that. They're, they're just wanting to, to make an informed decision about what they invest in. And so, of course, we don't know what's going to happen with individual projects. They're all different. They have different art levels, you know, in, in tabletop gaming, some of the art is just amazing. Um, some of it is just terrible or some of it is good, but it, it's a, a style that doesn't resonate, right? Like if you have a Van Gogh-esque uh, style or an impressionist style or anime style, it's going to hit the market differently. And so we don't know exactly what's going to happen with individual projects. But what we do know is our hist our historical client averages. And so we can look at the data that we've obtained over the breadth of, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of clients and see the trends and define the benchmarks about what we should see if the ads are optimized. And if you're not hitting those, when we analyze the KPIs, then we need to, you know, make some adjustments or maybe your project needs to be refined more before it comes to market because the market's indicating that it's just not resonating. Um, so what I tell, you know, clients that ask me in meetings, you know, what can you promise me or what can I expect for an ROAS? Is it going to be three times, four times? I just tell them, you know, we don't know the future. However, here's here are the averages that we've seen historically from our clients and that's where we are getting into what you guys are talking about with cost per um, click or the click-through rate or the email click-through rates uh, open rates all that kind of stuff yeah you know um whenever people would ask me questions like that really what they are um oftentimes they're talking from is their experience or their understanding of traditional e-commerce. So that would be when I spend $100 on Facebook ads, I can actively see how many products were purchased in my store for that 100 bucks, right? So like, you know, one of our clients is uh, Modifius and they sell Dune and Fallout stuff. And so, you know, if Modifius spends $100, we're one of the things we're responsible for is knowing as, as best as we can, you know, what the return was for that hundred bucks. And that's possible with e you know, traditional e-commerce. Sometimes it can be a little bit cryptic as it gets uh, more complex. But the, uh, the idea is that those numbers can be known and there are often minimum um, return on investment that you need because what you're, what you're doing is you're actively looking to see you know, is this something that we should sustain, that we should continue? Um, is it or is it not worthwhile at all? Right. So, you know, people that have games in stock that are in a warehouse somewhere and they're looking to sell stuff. When you spend a dollar on ads, you need to get at least three dollars back in order for that to be worthwhile, in order for that spend to be worthwhile. In some cases, it's a little bit lower. You can get, you know, two and a half dollars back for every dollar you spend on ads. You know, because you've got your product costs something and, you know, like if I spend $100 on ads, I need $300 back because my game costs, you know, we'll, we'll just say it costs $100 to, to get here and to ship and everything. And I'm spending another $100 in ads. So I need my margin to be that final $100 to make it actually worthwhile so that I can reprint 
the uh, the game. So if I get more than that, then um, it's going to be uh, gravy. And that's that's exactly what we want. We want 10 to 1 return on ad spend, right? And uh, the, the challenges with crowdfunding is that those numbers are not easily known because you don't have, number one, when you're before your campaign's live, you don't have, I'll say you have kind of an idea as far as how engaged your people are and, you know, what your costs are and things like that, you know, to get an email subscriber. If it's $2 to get an email subscriber, it's a lot better of an indicator than if it's $10 to get an email subscriber. And the challenge, you know, one of the common questions that people ask me is how do I know what my return is going to be? And the truth is, even when their campaign is live, they don't, I mean, it's not easy to tell because the metrics are oftentimes hidden. Um, sometimes, you know, like on GameFound, it's a lot easier to figure out how much people are uh, actually spending. The, uh, you know, what we always try to to tell people is uh, there are two things going on here. It's not just a traditional e-commerce. You are doing two things. You are making money and, you know, getting people interested in your board game, but you're also building a business. So whenever somebody comes to me and it's their very first Kickstarter campaign or, or game found, you know, if they, if that's where they want to launch, they are, they come and they say, Hey, you know, what's my, what's going to, what's the return on investment going to be. And that oftentimes if that's the only, I guess if that's the only question that they ask, it shows a little bit of green, you know, or, or ignorance um, on their part because they don't, I, I think a lot of the time people just don't understand what they're really getting themselves into that they, they're actually starting a business. They are starting a business. And when you finish your first crowdfunding project, you're going to launch in theory, if you manage your money correctly and you have passion for this and all of that, you're going to launch a second one. And the second campaign that you launch, you've got all of the assets from the first campaign on uh, to, to use. So for deliverance, uh, using that as an example, because I just, I've just done one uh, Kickstarter campaign. I have about 4,500 emails that I get to use for my next project, whether that's you know, the expansion or a different, you know, uh, game, I have a, a captive audience that I can then build on. So th this is going to, you know, pay it forward. Let's say if I earned a, a terrible return, which was a one-to-one -one return on ad spend, we did much better than that. But if it was just $1 spent to $1 earned, that would be pretty darn terrible. But when we launch our next Kickstarter campaign, I have 4,500 emails that have already invested in that are mine, that I can, you know, that are people that know me that, uh, you know, have experience with my products that will consider backing the next project. And those emails, assuming the return on ad spend was terrible, as soon as I launch my next project, if it's something that they're remotely interested in, I'm going to get backers from that email list. And all of a sudden that, you know, in my, uh, I don't even, fictitious example, the return on ad spend will go up from one to one to three to one to five to one or whatever it is, just simply because I'm using the same email list for a new project and I didn't have to pay for it a second time. And this is how we build the snowball and start pushing it down a hill and it becomes an avalanche that's like out of control. You know, this is the kind of marketing terminology a lot of people will use as the you know, when you're starting your business, you have to 
you know, spend the time to, you know, it's like, it's like a little snowball. You have to, you know, keep it safe and, you know, pack it with more snow. And then eventually you can start pushing it down a hill, but you have to help it. And, you know, the snowball, if you've ever pushed a snowball down a hill or whatever, it, it gathers more snow, um, on its own, but you have to push it. But there, there comes a certain point where it's a giant boulder of snow and it will roll on its own. And uh, then it will roll exceedingly fast on its own and probably hit somebody or hit a tree and explode. But in this analogy, it's just going to keep rolling and, get, and, and building momentum on its own without your constant uh, work. So that's really the way that I look at crowdfunding is you're building a business and the, you're, you're not just spending and looking for a return on investment, uh, but you're investing into something that is going to be a permanent asset for your business. It's going to be the, the single most valuable thing that you own is your email list. A lot of people come to us and they, they just, they're like, oh, I never open emails and I'm sure you never open emails. I had a, a I literally had this, this conversation um, and I turn I turn people away if they if they're not going to buy into our to our process of, you know, the email list is the core of what it is that you do. If you want your Facebook page to be that or whatever, then, you know, you've got to you've got to buy into our way of doing things or I don't know how to help you. Yeah. Um, and that's but, uh, yeah. that's something that um, does often get asked of me as as well is why email and be, before that really to preface that they at least people that are more informed or, or they will, you know, ask us what our funnel looks like. Maybe they don't know, you know, the terminology, but they'll ask us what the process is, what, what the customer's journey is like from the time that, you know, a prospect has served the ad to what, what are they clicking on to? What are they giving us on that site? And how do we move forward to contact them, engage them, plug them into our community and, so, you know, often that's something that we explain is, you know, we're, we're formulating highly targeted Facebook and Instagram ads so that you're getting them served to a qualified base of people right out the gate. And then they're further qualified when they look at the ad and they decide, oh, I like this imagery that your game is serving or whatever your tabletop project or crowdfunding project is. And I like the, you know, small blurb that's attached to it. I'm going to click it and then they get taken to our landing pages and our landing pages do a really good job of uh, further displaying the best imagery or video. If you have one of your product, along with really summarized blurbs about what your product is, we start with a thematic intro that kind of places them in the world of your product. You know, if it's a tabletop game, for example, who am I in the game and what am I doing? What, what are my objectives and what is the world? And then we're further down the list, uh, introducing kind of three key essences of the game, whether they're gameplay mechanisms or, or phases in a turn. And we're further qualifying them the further down they get on the page. And then, you know, they put in their email and then when they put in their email, they're going to get automatically engaged by, the automation that we set up in uh, MailChimp or what have you, whatever email management system is being used. And that way they're automatically just getting plugged in. And, and what I believe Sean was finding is that I can't remember who it was there. We were finding that engagement right after, right after they put in their email is really high. 
because they're already thinking about that product and they're more willing to engage with it immediately. So, you know, I, I would think that a welcome rate uh, or an, uh, the welcome emails open rate would be pretty high. Is that what you see, Sean? Yeah, so it's usually substantially higher. So it's around 60 to 70% open rate for the welcome email. So it is it is quite high. Yeah, and the click-through rates are, are astronomically high compared to normal, whereas a, a typical email may have anywhere from, it's like 1% to 8% open, depending on the type of content and whatnot. Uh, for, you know, for deliverance, we have like typically like a 3% open rate because, or I'm sorry, a click-through rate, <laughs> 3% would be awful. <laughs> I, would, I would quit. So yeah, like a 3% click-through rate because, you know, it's like our, our Facebook group is, is the thing. But we already have like 2,600 people in our Facebook group. So, you know, when I, you know, my email list is very familiar that I have a Facebook group and the people that want to jump on and use Facebook Oftentimes those people have already done that. So future emails, when I put a Facebook group, uh, you know, call to action in there, it's not going to get clicked as often. Right. But for the welcome email, I have my, my click through rate is like 500% higher or 600% higher. It's like a 16% click through rate, you know, to join my Facebook group, which is, which is really high. And the open rate is, is like 60% or something. And, um, it's pretty awesome. One thing I've been looking into is MLM, multi-level marketing and pyramid schemes. And there's a book called Pontinomics by a gentleman called Robert L. Fitzpatrick. And he sort of uncovers this. And one of the conditions of MLM schemes is that they don't qualify anyone. It's anybody can do this. And so there's no questions about, well, how saturated is the market? How many people in this area are doing this? Do you have the financial ability to commit to you know, selling mm -hmm. these things. So they don't qualify anyone. Mm -hmm. What we do is we spend a lot of time qualifying people. And I know even before they get to talking to Ryan, they've got to add, people have to answer a spreadsheet of questions. <laughs> Ryan, I don't know if you want to go through some of those questions. What do we ask and why do we ask them? Yeah. One of the main questions that we ask is what would people love about your product? Why are they going to back your game? Uh, because if you don't have a good grasp on why the market is going to love your product and you're expecting us to figure that out for you. It's, it means that we're going to be doing a lot of trial and error and AB testing and just trying to figure out what your message even is, uh, you know, what your elevator pitch is essentially for your, for your product. And that's something that you should have been thinking. It's probably one of the first questions you should have been thinking while you were in the early alpha design phases, um, because that, that needed to be built into your game from the get go. Um, so that's, you know, one other, uh, if I could interject, um, a lot of the time people will come with the, what they think is the, you know, the standout thing that everybody's going to love. And that's a problem in and of itself as well, because you're basically, you know, it's the equivalent of being blindfolded and throwing a dart at a dartboard. You think the audience will like it, but you don't know because you, uh, maybe haven't done much play testing or, or something like that. I think the best. The thing I love hearing is when people say, oh yes, everybody likes this because that's what everybody tells me. That's just, I mean, that's, you know, the closest you can get to rooting your messaging in data, you know, it'll help us do a lot better. Yeah. And we do have a, a form that we send to clients, which is a customer avatar, which kind of is uh, trying to nail down who it would be in, in the real world who would uh, be interested in your product and 
and what does that look like? How, how old are they? What are their hobbies? Um, where do they live? That, that kind of thing. Um, and, and it can be helpful, but you're right. It can also be speculative if it's not grounded in real data that you have from playtesting or cons or, you know, what, what you're seeing with, uh, you know, podcasts or different avenues that you may have already taken to get some of those metrics. So that's just one of the things that we ask. And, you know, also the other things that, that we would like to know would be uh, what is your funding goal for your Kickstarter project? And uh, some people don't even have that in mind. They're, they're not sure. Uh, they're also unsure about their launch date. But we like to ask some of these things because especially for launch date, we get some clients that, you know, are ready to launch next week and they're just engaging us. And they're like, what can you do for me? I launch in five days. And we're like, um, well, our lead time to get, you know, your ads live is about 14 days. So not really anything. So it's, it's good to know, you know, and set your expectations accordingly that you need to give a marketing company the adequate time they need to onboard you and get your ad set up, uh, exchange the assets that you might have to give us and all that so that we can yeah, build your landing page. There's just a lot that goes into it that you might not know from the client side, but we certainly need about two weeks to uh, do a a good job with it. I'd like to kind of segue from that uh, talking about rates and service models, because that's certainly a question that you should be asking a marketing company that you're looking into and uh, trying to figure out how do they charge and is it flexible or is it set in stone? Are you obligated to what you signed in a contract and you can't change it from there uh, until the end of your relationship with that marketing company or are they dynamic and flexible with you according to your needs? And so I think that those are important questions that you should be asking uh, your marketing company is it a percentage model? Um, you know, there are certain marketing companies that'll just, it sounds really great up front. Like, Hey, you know, we won't charge you anything until you're finished, uh, being funded, but then they want 15% of the total amount that they brought you. And that can end up being a lot. I mean, if you're, uh, even if you have a kind of a moderate funding goal of let's say $50,000 and you reach that and they brought you half of it, um, you know, which isn't out of the ordinary, then that's going to be $25,000, you know, times 15%, you know, you're looking at somewhere around 3,500 bucks that you're going to pay that company. Um, and if you do in addition to all of your ad spend, which you have to pay for as well, right? Yeah, that's just their fees. Um, you know, and if you do more than that, which a lot of Kickstarter, uh, you know, board game or tabletop projects do, in the hundreds of thousands, you can imagine how that'll accumulate. So it's an important thing to know, you know, is, are they doing flat rates um, or, or fees? Is it monthly? Is it percentage based at the end? And how does that mm-hmm. gel with your ad spend and, and uh, your budget? Um, and is it a la carte? Can you, you know, take on services and customize um, and then also drop those services when you don't need them? Or is it just like, no, you have to agree to this set package and you're locked in. Um, And so what we try to do is um, have things be flat and monthly as much as possible so that you can really understand your ad budget up front and you know what you need to allocate to our efforts. 
Um, and then we also, on top of that, try to be flexible. So we have all these great services that are sort of a la carte where, you know, if you need it, you can add it. And if you no longer need it, then you can drop it on a monthly basis. And we like to work with you to make sure that we're providing you the amount of services that you need, but nothing more and nothing less. Um, so I think that's something important to have in mind when you're uh, discussing things with a, a marketing company. Yeah. You know, how do I pay for ads is a question, I guess. And you know what, what, I, what I hear that is like a red, well, I, um, it's, it's an alarm, alarm bells start going off when I hear this from a prospective client that calls in or that sends an email, they will say like, Hey, you know, well, if, we fund if we fund really well. I know we're going to fund a bunch of money, and if, and when we do, I'll give you a big percentage. What that means, what what they've not said, but I've deduced is that um, they don't have any money to pay us, and they're they're hoping to make a bunch of money, and they're going to pay us then. But the problem is that's uh, the the analogy would be a bird in the hand versus two birds in the bush. The bird in the hand is better than two birds in a bu- in the bush. I don't know why. They're, they use birds in bushes um, and birds in hands. But the idea is that um, I don't trust you. That's just going to be what where where we start is like, prove me wrong. I trust you zero, but you, you can earn trust. And when a stranger calls me and says, I have no money, but if you help me raise 100,000, I'll give you 20,000. I don't trust what they say is, is, is going to be, I, I don't trust them at their word necessarily. And uh, I've had plenty of experiences in the past where I've been burned. I also have experiences in the past where I have fantastic clients that I would do that. You know, people that have gone through difficult times in their business and they haven't had the ability to pay, uh, but I know they're good for it. They've been a great client and and I trust them. Um, I'll I'll bend the rules substantially for for clients like that. But really, it's you know, as the marketing agency or as a marketing agency, we are doing this this cost benefit analysis ourselves, you know, is if we take a client on that is prom is promising us the world after they fund, I mean, it's not like the money goes into our account and we give and we pay them out. It's the money goes into their account and they are going to pay us. And we've had cases where, you know, we've been burned. And uh that's, you know, part of that is just, you know, the cost of doing business, you know, sometimes, but yeah, I mean, one time, in fact, I, this was, this was not a crowdfunding campaign, but I work for a, um, uh, one of those kind of as seen on TV products that where we took their Amazon account from $4,000 a month to $400,000 a month, uh, with the promise of earning a percentage of that, but we didn't have enough in writing and they had, uh, more money than us. And they, they had attorneys and other things like that, that they could use. And they just didn't pay. It's like, well, that kind of stinks. You know, we should have, that should have been like the biggest payday of my life, you know, and uh, 400K a month, right? It was like, I was actually about 200 to 400,000 a month. 400 and something thousand was their first order from Amazon Vendor Central. And um, they just didn't pay. And uh, that, and that was it. It was like to their eternal shame, you know, and, uh, but it was it it hurt me uh, and in our company, and I I learned I was like you know why am I why am I doing all of this work for the promise of pay when I could just get paid and do work? So we switched our model to you know just a 
uh, always charging flat fees. And now, I mean, we have, we did, we did Skyrim um, that raised, you know, whatever, $1.7 million. And I think we, I think we did that campaign for free, actually, <laughs> because we made a promise did. that whoever did, yeah, the first game found campaign. We did a lot. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was worth it as far as, uh, you know, us getting, I mean, we, it was certainly out of the frying pan into the fire, wasn't it? Uh, with, <laughs> with Skyrim as the first one on GameFound. But I just, I find myself seeing somebody raise, you know, $500,000, a million dollars, 1.7 for Skyrim, just being happy for them. It's like, great, you have enough to pay your people and keep the lights on a while and make a cool game. again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just, I just think that percentage-based marketing agreements are dangerous for you as a creator and also for the marketing company. Anybody who charges percentage-based agreements will have attorneys that will go after you if you fail to pay. And that's just the way it has to be because, you know, there are a lot of people who are going to try to uh, renege on that agreement and just fail to pay after they, they get results. It, uh, you know, on the, on the creator side, it doesn't feel good to finally pay. It feels good to get backers and other things like that. Um, you know, one company I used because as you know, I run a marketing company, we were spending on Facebook ads, but also we used one of these companies, which I won't name because I'm about to throw shade at them. The result wasn't great. And, you know, we made like $314,000 on Kickstarter and it was, it was excellent for deliverance, but we had, when we paid out for that percentage based, um, ad spend, it was, uh, something like 10 or $11,000 that we had to pay. And I realized Yikes. at that moment that, you know, that the, the money that they raised for us and, and that kind of thing was. It was about like one and a half to one, you know, that when we, we made maybe about $15,000. And here's the uh, question I so. have for you. Do you uh -huh. think that we would have been able to reach the people that they reached eventually just through? Yes, that's the thing. Is that's that... the question. Because I, I know that some of these other companies, they spend far more aggressively than we would. But I, I sort of just feel that they're just reaching people sooner that we would eventually reach. Right. Yeah. So that's the that's what I find is the kind of the coup de gras in, in many of these percentage based companies, if you are able to spend and they're going to make you, they're going to charge you. Um, if you're able to spend on your, um, on, on marketing, you know, do it yourself. If you have a huge budget, you may diversify in various ways, but in general, you know, if you can spend on Facebook ads and you know, you've got other marketing companies that will spend, they're using, in, in all likelihood, they're using Facebook as a platform as well. And in addition to their own, you know, email lists and things like that, what's, uh, there's this, uh, key, it's called cannibalization. You are cannibalizing by, you know, your Facebook ad campaign would have reached some of the people that were reached by the other company. And the other company is charging 15% of whatever that, that um, person spends. In addition to the ad spend, uh, which, you know, 250 bucks a day in ad spend, and maybe you made $300, but, and, you know. And just a matter of interest, did you have to give them access to your Kickstarter Facebook page at all? To um, I did, yeah. Okay, yeah, so, so, what, so what I suspect they're doing is that they're mm -hmm. then creating lookalike audiences based off the people who've engaged with your page. 
which is going to basically use all the data points that we have collected during the pre-marketing yes. that they're then leveraging, which we could just leverage for you. So I think that's what they're, right. that's, that's what they're doing. Yeah. But you know, in addition to that, they have their, they have massive email lists, which they use look like audiences for that too. But you know, you, this is the, the equation. So let's say they spend $250 per day in ad spend. Let's say you make $300. They're going to charge you 15% of the sales that they made in addition to being reimbursed for the ad spend. So what that means, if, if they brought in $300 that, you know, on a spend of 250, they're going to charge you 15% of that, which is $45. So you made a grand total of $5 because, you know, $250 in ad spend plus $45 for their, their, we'll say their, uh, their fees. That's that leaves five bucks left over. If you made, let's just say, you know, $500, um, which would be an excellent number you know, or, well, I mean, it, it's not actually that, that great, uh, but those are the way the numbers work out. Let's just, let's just say like in the ideal circumstance, they make you three to one. Um, so that's uh, $750. We'll take out their $250 in ad spend that they use to make you that money. And then we'll multiply, uh, that's 500 bucks left by uh, 15% that they're going to charge you $75. So they charge you $325 to, for you to make 500 that's still not two to one. That's still not earning enough. You have to actually produce the game and hopefully get reimbursed for all of the art expenses or whatever marketing expenses that you're doing as well. So the, the, the math doesn't often pencil out. It does not often pencil out. What will happen is you'll get a really high return on ad spend at, at first. You'll get like five to one, seven to one, and then it'll, it'll, it'll drop off every single day so that at, you know, 10 days in you're making, you know, two to one ad spend. And this is factoring in all of the great work they did for you on day one and two. So your ad, your total return on ad spend is just dwindling and dwindling down, um, which is very unfortunate, but that's the way it is. And now on day one, you know, you've got all these backers, all these you know, very interested people on your email list and that kind of thing. If they start marketing for you on the first day, they're going to find some of those people. And that's what happened with us. You know, as far as I, as far as I can tell the people that came in, you know, on the first day all came in because they knew who we were. They were expecting the campaign and they saw ads from us. Maybe they saw our email uh, that went out that was like, we launched or, you know, they saw ads from this other company and it wasn't, it just wasn't as effective. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it again. It wasn't as effective as I, as I hoped if our company, or if you personally are advertising to people on Facebook, then if you spend more money, you should try to advertise to people that might not use Facebook all the time. You know, one, great example of this would be board game geek ads or you know for me i did the babylon b you know and that was a group of people who are oftentimes not on facebook it's just a different circle um there were other you know you could use dice tower you could use quackalope and reviewers like that you know, you know um i think rotto and man versus meeple and shut up sit down and all of these other companies that that offer opportunities to reach their audiences are going to have different audiences than you are currently reaching. So, you know, some of the best money you can spend is on quality reviewers to reach their, their audiences, you know? So 
it's just, you got to be careful when you're spending money with marketing companies that, that you're actually not cannibalizing sales that you would have made anyway. Yeah. So I think something that ties in with this, uh, and, and helps our clients to, or, or anyone who's looking into marketing to further kind of qualify what exactly it is that they're doing for you, uh, with, with the money that you're giving them is to ask them what their methodology is for formatting the ads and the ad sets. And without getting too technical about all the crazy minutia and, uh, jargon that goes along with that, which will put you to sleep. You know, it, it's mostly comes down to, is it broad and unqualified or is it focused and qualified? And what goes along with that is if it's broad and unqualified, it's usually cheap uh, to get to per lead. Like your, your leads are going to come in cheaper and that's going to make the marketing company look really good. Like look, we got you, you know, 2000 emails in two weeks, um, you know, using a Facebook uh, lead form where people never leave the platform. They just see a snazzy picture and two sentences and they put in their email and it's super effortless for them. So they do it. And it's just an impulse email um, that they submit or and they're all in India. (laughs) Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like, where are they targeting? You know, where, where are they allocating the ad spend, uh, because if you just tell them, yeah, you can target any region globally, then they might exploit that and just target like Nigeria and India and Pakistan. And you're, you're going to get crazy, you know, amounts. They of won't likes ask and... you where they should target. They'll just target and be like, look at our, look at all the work that we're doing. Isn't it great? And you'd be like, wow, I've got lots of emails. And then when it comes to launch day, nobody backs your campaign and you're like, what happened? Right. And so it's really important to quantify that with the uh, marketing company you're dealing with. And um, hopefully, you know, we're giving you some terminology now, like KPIs or benchmarks or, you know, uh, cost per click. Or, you know, if you've listened to our previous podcast, you could probably write a whole glossary. And so that you're kind of armed with at least some cursory knowledge of these things. And if they don't have a solid answer for you or a justification for where your money's going or a solid plan to tackle, um, you know, giving you qualified leads, then it's probably not a good idea to go with them. Um, you know, us, we try to focus on, um, you know, targeting like very highly so that the people that get served the ad at all are already people that are qualified. One, one of those areas would be that make sure that they're interested in Kickstarter or crowdfunding to begin with. So that they're already familiar with the platform. You know, there's a lot of people who love tabletop games and might love your product, but they want two-day Amazon shipping and they have no idea how crowdfunding works. And it's a, it's a good idea to make sure to strain those people out. First of all, make sure that they've had uh, some interaction with crowdfunding in the past through our targeting. And yeah, sure, we strained a lot of people out that might, um, again, have bloated an email list and made it look impressive. Um, but we want to do that so that the people who do sign up are people that are going to be passionate fans and hopefully eventually brand ambassadors for your product that are actually mm-hmm. going to utilize the power of their share to kind of bring that X factor in and uh, give you additional backs. Um, and yeah, it's going to be a higher cost per lead. Like uh, for us to acquire those emails, it might be a little bit more. But what you get in return is it's an investment uh, versus just seeing kind of a, a ballooned figure that 
makes you feel good. You know, you're going to feel better when your campaign launches and you realize that you have a higher conversion rate from your email list, which meant that um, you funded. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty important. Yeah. Yeah. You know, bottom line is that when you're working with another marketing company, they need to be able to like, you need to be able to understand what they're saying. Oftentimes when I have, uh, you know, when we work with clients, they that have worked with previous marketing companies, they didn't understand what was what was even happening. And so the they were cheated in some way or they were treated poorly because they didn't understand. And I think that's a, a really important point because, you know, a lot of people who are listening to this are just lay, lay people trying to understand. And you need to have a marketing company that speaks in the common tongue, you know, that, you know, with language that makes sense. And if they're using crazy terminology, that's really tough to understand. And they're explaining it at a high level that in a way that is not easy to understand, um, their, their reports aren't going to be easy to understand. And then their return on investment, is not going to be easy to understand. And, uh, or maybe that will be easy to understand and be very poor, you know, in the end. So we always try to speak in a way that others will understand and, we try to be upfront with how we, you know, with, with our, our stats and data and that kind of thing. And we'll give you as much or as little as you want, but, um, you know, hopefully this podcast helped you understand a little bit more about how to deal with a marketing agency. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And if you have a crowdfunding question, we also have a page on our site where you can send a message directly to us. Please visit crowdfundingnerds.com forward slash question. And if your question is a great question, we may include it in a future podcast. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.